Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am here with your most favorite co-host, Nathan. How you doing, Nathan? I'm doing so well. How are you? Oh, you know, wonderful. Just having an excellent time recording the podcast. Beautiful first day try. out today. I know, first try. That we're all just, we've, got, just... we've gotten really good at this. You would think after 43 episodes, 44, including this one, we'd be... You know, and or 45, are. if you remember the one where we lost the audio. Oh, you know, yeah. Functional be... programming attempt one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That just happened be... <laughs> to be the one where you had no audio. Let's not point fingers now. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely didn't do something right. I'm sure. Yeah, 100 percent. That's the that's yeah. the only conclusion here. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Vancouver is starting to get more rainy ish. We got an mm. hour of sunlight today, so that's why it's an amazing day. Uh, yeah, how are, how are things with you? Good. You know, my sister visited over the past weekend, and uh, she and all her friends were complaining about how rainy it is. And I was like, I warned you. It's just going to rain the whole time you're here. The day's going to be 10 minutes long, and it's going to rain. And they were here for three days. It rained for three days. And then Monday morning, bright blue skies, sunny day. Uh, it's like, well, I guess this is just the way it, it do be that way sometimes. It do be that way. Wise words. Yes. But uh, I do have in my notes some interesting and frustrating things that I would like to share. So first of all, the good thing, this is, this is just a generic update on something I mentioned before, uh, which is I've been using Macrofactor for tracking macros. And I don't remember how long it's been now, at, at least a month, six weeks, two, two months maybe. And it's still great. I still really liking the app. They keep releasing improvements for it. And just in general, tracking macros has gone well. I took a long time off from doing it. And this has been the most intuitive version of macro and calorie tracking. Because one of the nice things about it is it really doesn't, have any way of trying to like punish you for going over on anything. So I'm pretty much every day way over on my protein and way under on my carbs. And it doesn't care. It just calculates what your, what your predicted energy expenditure for the day was based on your uh, weight trends. And so some days I'll be like way under my expected calories. Some days I'll be way over and it just takes again as data and processes it and gives you back recommendations. And it's great. It's way better than it turning red and not, not updating like in my fitness pal or something. It would usually just, you go over by one gram and it turns red and it's only capable of dealing with you following the plan exactly. So I've been happy with it, especially as you know, being a developer when they continue to release improvements that don't totally break all the things I liked about it. I approve. So been happy with that. Uh, a frustrating thing is with the upcoming move, I have to call Shaw to cancel my internet because there's no way of doing it uh, other without calling. Uh, they refuse. And they're also probably going to make me ship my modem and router back through Canada Post which is how I returned the other one, despite the fact that it's going to go 
to Canada Post, to some sort of distribution center, to a facility where it'll sit, where the other one's been sitting since February, in a holding facility up the street. When I could just take it to a Shaw location and be like, I'm done with this, uh, here you go. Um, or walk it up the street and just say, all right, apparently they just want to hold all the old modems here, so just put it in your facility, I guess. So anyway, I'm going to have to somehow acquire a box and postage and stuff to ship that, which is going to be dumb. But I'm uh, I'm just very annoyed because all of this is a pain. Yeah, check in with them, though, because I remember when I left the island, I, when I, I just had to go to Uptown. They had a little location, and I just walked in the store, gave them the box, and they're like, cool, we'll credit the $50 back or whatever. Yeah, and that's what they used to do. I believe they're using COVID as an excuse to not do anything. So I'm going to try to just show up with my crap and be like, well, I'm here now, so what are you going to do about it? And see if they'll just take my stuff. Uh, The only risk is that they'll then charge me and say they never received the box. So we'll see. I'd rather not have to fight with them, but I would just wish it wasn't such a pain to always cancel your stuff with ISPs. Yeah. And ISPs are just, I wish they weren't, weren't the worst. Uh, but I bookended this frustrating piece with another good thing, which was I finally went to this place called Ghost Ramen, which is in Victoria here. And my friends have been telling me to go for a long time because it's literally right across the street. And I finally went and it was delicious. I was very happy with the experience. I got what they called the OG ramen. And it was super good. So enjoyed that. Got an extra egg. You can get that as a topping. So recommend. Uh, Another frustrating thing is owning stuff. So just having stuff that you own is super annoying. And I really like not owning stuff. So sort of the flip side of this coin is that with moving, it gives me an excuse to get rid of a bunch of stuff. So I have been enjoying that. I brought a bunch of my stuff over like my plants and whatnot over to a friend's place. She's going to take care of them and a bunch of other stuff that I just haven't had a good enough reason to get rid of like my crock pot or whatever. Cause I still use it once a year or so. Now I have a reason to get rid of it. So looking forward to that. And then one last thing, uh, I've mentioned before Lex Friedman's podcast. But he's been doing a lot with people involved in or aware of crypto, and they've just been really interesting lately. So anybody interested in that sort of thing, uh, he's his specialty is artificial intelligence and robotics. So it's a good podcast for that sort of thing anyway. But lately he's been touching a lot on crypto, so I'd recommend that. Uh, lastly is the Wholesome Recommendation, and this is just a generic YouTube channel recommendation for this channel called Dave2D. He's a tech reviewer, and I'm going to link one of his videos. I think the one I chose was the uh, M1 Mac Book Pro review. He's just a very uh, family-friendly, wholesome kind of guy, and he started making the occasional dad joke of sorts in his videos. So they're, they're fairly short. He usually has them under like 10 minutes, and they're just easy watch, so I'll be including that. What about you? How have you been? Nice. Anything cool, interesting, frustrating? All of them. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, cool thing. The very top of my list, I think I've mentioned this before, and I will mention it every time I do this. 
Um, I wrote another exponential back off uh, retry <laughs> mechanism. I love okay. them. They're just so great. They're, they're, nothing about them is bad. They're always just like, oh, no, you failed. Take some time. Try it again. They're just like the best thing in the world until you've done enough times. And they're just like, all right, we're cutting you off now. You're, you're a failure, uh, which is how the real life should work. Uh, <laughs> so I really enjoy them. And I found a cool new way of doing wrapper method executions in Ruby uh, to write the one I, I recently implemented. I think the last one I did was in Python and mostly I've been doing them in Python. So it was neat to see how retries work in Ruby because before this I did them using the retry keyword uh, but this time I just wrote a full-fledged wrapper so you can just pass it any random function and just be like all right with retries tried this many times and it does the whole back off for it uh, which was really fun uh, so definitely very cool fun thing um, shout out to Dollarama just <laughs> I, I just love them. They're they're so great. Even though nothing there is really a dollar, it's usually dollar fifty or three dollars, um, or somewhere in between. But they always have good stuff. Like I I just needed like some stuff to organize uh, things around my kitchen and living room and stuff. And I looked up storage containers on Amazon. There was it was a set of them and it was like thirty four dollars. And I'm sure there were like five or six of them, but I just went to Dollarama, bought like three or four that much I needed, came back home under 20 bucks. I had a whole bunch of cleaning supplies, organizational shelves, and whatever I wanted. Shopping done in 10 minutes. No, no same day shipping problems. Uh, you know, so shout out, shout out to Dollar Stores because Dollarama may be a little bit more expensive than other 99 cent stores, but they got they got the good stuff, so I'm willing to pay two or two fifty for that kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you need uh, like a pack of sticky notes, or if you need a, a card for somebody's birthday, you forgot Dollarama, easy. Slag in there, get what yeah. you need. Plates, utensils, uh, <laughs> kitchen stuff. Uh, some of like unless you're obviously wanting something for long term, maybe not. Uh, but most of the stuff, yeah. Super easy. Even planting ones, the Dollaramas here are insanely big uh, for no reason. No one needs the, them to be that big. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm very happy that they are. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so shout out. Shout out to them. Uh, very happy about that. Uh, slightly frustrating thing that I'll bookend with a good thing was sure. my IKEA couch had this issue where it like kept spacing off. And while I was under it this weekend, trying to clean up everything and sort of took it slightly apart just so I can uh, clean under it properly, I found some screws that I had not seen before because they were really under. And I tightened those and my couch doesn't do the bad thing anymore. So I'm very happy. Um, sort of <laughs> sad that I didn't do it months ago. I wish I would have some of the cushion damage would have been prevented. But you know what? It is what it is, and uh, it got done. That's what's important. It is what it is. It Such is, is life. It is. Such is life. <laughs> um, yeah, and another cool thing is, I think I mentioned before on Mass Effect 2, uh, there is a lot more like NPC dialogues and fun interactions. Uh, I'm having a lot more fun now because I'm just doing a whole bunch of side missions. 
And even though the characters talk a little bit more, a whole bunch of NPC side missions are great because I just went to some planet, I think it was called Ilium or something, and it had a whole bunch of uh, parties going on. And there was this table of like these different alien species and a human uh, like enjoying one of the other species like bachelor party or something. And the conversations were just really great because the alien was just like, you know, our, our species doesn't even copulate like humans do. So this is useless for me. And he's just like, man, just, just watch the stripper. OK, this is what we do. <laughs> this is good. Uh just little things like that or this girl like talking to some guy on a date and they're like both aliens so she's like oh and then that human says we can go natural because our dna is incompatible uh and uh, you know it'll feel better that way and then she's like but i had to tell him all about cross-species contamination and that really killed the mood and i'm like yeah that's the future problems i want to hear about not planets <laughs> in danger all that uh so it's been really fun because if you like stand around for too long, they'll just be like, um, we're having a private conversation here. Uh, so really fun, like sh really good job to uh, Mass Effect devs for that. So yeah. In comparison to like Skyrim, you st walk by somebody and they're just like, I work for Bellathor at the general goods store. And you're like, all right. And you walk <laughs> by him again later and he says the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, if you do it enough times, they also have the same uh, cycles. But at least there's like enough variety that you won't notice it the first time you do it. Right. Or the first few times you walk around. I just stood there and like, I would like go back and come back to just hear the different types. Because uh, I, I guess I have no life. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and something new and exciting. Uh, AWS just announced their new data center region for Calgary. Whoop, whoop, because Calgary oh, now will be useful for something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than an airport. Other than an airport, yeah. It's yeah. The, those are the now that the oil industry is dying. There's nothing else that comes out of Calgary besides sadness. So yeah, planes for connections. Uh, I and yeah, you know Jasper and Banff. Again, I feel very strongly that the only reason they have those because they're at the border of BC and BC was just like, y'all can have some tourism too here. <laughs> file, file it under your boundaries. Hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I clearly have a bias against uh, <laughs> the, um, the prairies. Uh, just, I just don't like Albert. Anyways, um, that that's going to get the show canceled by the way. Sweet. Uh, I was, I thought it was going to be me <laughs> that did it in the end, but no. Yeah, yeah. I got nothing against the people of Calgary. It's just, just I, I just don't like the cold. I don't like the giant roads. I don't like the flat surface. Just nothing is enjoyable. Uh, and there's nothing to do, too. Uh, anyways, I'll stop ranting on that because that's not this yeah. show about. What well, could be in the next episode of the Rocket League <laughs> uh, and Calgary Complaints <laughs> podcast. Heck yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the new data center is opening up there, which means we'll have more more availability in Canada, except Montreal. Uh, so that's kind of nice because a lot of Canadian companies do love their you know data not going to states because states have whatever laws where they can still look at it. So having some uh, more data centers here probably will maybe help get the governments more onboarded with the cloud stuff, which will make it better and not have like OpenShift running on-prem. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I look forward to that because I, I was very happy when the news went public today and I'm actually able to talk about it. 
Uh, I have clearly no actual involvement with it, uh, but I was just happy. And if I do ever have any involvement that I'm allowed to talk about, I will bring this back because I, I love data centers, even though I know I would be completely useless at one besides just being like, oh, cool, look at all these hardware. Uh, so I'm happy <laughs> people who are like so much smarter are taking care of that so I can write the software. Sure. Um, it sounds like me going to an aquarium to look at the penguins. I'm just like, yeah. I, I can't help, but I'm real happy to be here. Exactly. Yeah. You just nerd out. You just look at all this fleets of thousands of machines running in harmony and just, yeah, just be amazed by it and be like, oh, cool. Uh, I guess I'll go back to writing exponential back offs again. Right. Uh, and yeah, and then I have a wholesome pick as well. Ooh. Um, I know, right. I know. All right, all right. I'm curious because, you know, I, I don't normally expect this. Yeah, I, neither do I. But I, I, I saw it again the other day and I decided that it'll be, yeah, it'll be here, I decided. It's a wholesome pick you decided. A, yeah. Um, there's this guy on YouTube who's like a Vancouver local and he... I've seen a bunch of his videos before where I learned all about the Vancouver SkyTrain and random facts about it and the TransLink buses. Um, and I, I just recently saw some of his other stuff too. And he's just a wholesome dude. He's like always looking really happy and excited when he's doing it. And, you know, he's just like going up to the SkyTrains be like, this button was this and that. And you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like you, you like his vibe. So he's a very wholesome dude. And it's neat to just know more about cities because I, I like city planning. I know, again, I'd be really bad at it, <laughs> but it's just cool to learn about it. Uh, so that would be my, my wholesome pick. I don't fully remember the channel name right now, but I'll hunt it down so we can link it in the, the notes of the show. Sounds good. All right. So again, there's a question for you. It's Oof. in the show title, I'm sure. But... The people need to know, should they or you specialize in software development? Oh, hmm. I mean, if you want that cha-ching, no. Uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> I want to shoot that off right off the bat. That is, a good friend of mine wrote this blog post about how tech is, you know, not for the money. Or mm. that's how not you progress if you go for the money. Um, but, but yeah, uh, specializations I've had very like differing thoughts on, uh, I'll, I'll dive into it more with you, but my overall impression generally is unless you strongly know you should, you shouldn't tech is moving so quick. It changes so fast. If you completely specialize in something that's not generic enough, you will be outdated before you know it. Um, I can't remember it like within the short span of six years of my career, I mastered Docker when it came out to like, no one uses it anymore except dev development. Like there was a time Docker was Docker Swarm was like the mo big production thing. And if I had just gone all in into it and just be like, no, what, what's that Kubernetes stuff? No, no one's going to use that. Uh, I would have made a very poor decision. I learned the principles of Docker, which has helped me learn about the other container D and other things. Um, and it, you know, it's sort of unfair to say you can, you don't have to learn Docker or Docker or Kubernetes are different things. They're more of a built upon each other kind of principles. 
but the, the, the point is, uh, if you try to specialize into something, make sure it's a pattern of development or some sort of principle and not a technology uh, because it will get phased out before you know it and then you'll be sad and working for some really old company where you're maintaining code instead of building it and unless that's your thing you'll just be extremely sad and unhappy and you'll be at the government right shout out to all the COBOL developers out there yeah who, who are printing money left and right I'm sure uh, but I hope they're, whoever the ones are still doing it, they just do it because they love COBOL and they do, they do not want to develop anything new. They just want to maintain. Just keeping those banks running. Yeah. All that. Yeah. I, 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 one of my friend's friend actually has that job and he like, I think printed like $300,000 or something in like four months and his travel and everything gets paid for. Uh, because he just hops around all these old banks establishment around the world does the code stuff goes home uh, and yeah but he's not building anything new he's just making sure these things don't die mm -hmm. <laughs> just yeah yeah so that's I guess the sneaky way to extract value from specialization is if you accidentally got really good at something that everybody except for you forgot how to do but for some reason, it's still around. So in other words, if there's a tech that the government or banks or some other slow-moving industry is currently leveraging heavily, maybe there's a chance the rest of the world will move on except for them, and you'll be the only person left still standing who can help them. Yeah, just make but sure this not... industry has money. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, don't don't go with like this is what all the public schools are using. That's mm. not going to be the move. Uh, my point is that that's not a likely scenario, so probably don't bet on that. And uh, my my thinking here, right, is you've got uh, a point of diminishing returns with specializing in anything, or like the initial gains when you're learning something are really quick, and you make a lot of progress very quickly with learning you know, a new part of the stack or a new approach to development and getting really good at that thing gives you continuous improvement until say like some sort of mid to late stage intermediate. And then it just slows down a lot where you're like, all right, now I'm becoming an expert in this thing. And people care less and less because few and fewer people even know that those are concerns that someone should have. And, you know, if you want to be maintaining uh, Postgres source code, then you really need to know what you're doing. But if you're just some guy using a Postgres database, you don't need that specialty knowledge and you're going to be way more useful to pretty much everyone uh, if you're just pretty good at Postgres and can build the rest of the app around it as well. Or at least review the code from the people who are uh, building the app around it. And so... I think there is a point where you can be at, there's a risk at both ends, right? Of going too specialized, like you were saying, and then it just becomes obsolete or being so general. And that changes based on your experience level. So like being general one year in is different than being a very general five years in, which I'm sure is going to be very different than being very general 10 years in. And the more time you've had to expose yourself to a broader set of concerns, it's going to look like you're more generalized, 
but maybe your scope of knowledge is relative to how much time you've had to actually nestle into each of those areas. Cause like if I, I haven't written any JavaScript or much TypeScript in like a year and a half. And I am comfortable if I need to picking up either of those languages and banging out some front code because I've spent a lot of time doing that. And it also got to the point where I was like, I do not need to get any better at doing this. This is going to be a point of beyond the point of diminishing returns. Uh, so just generally, I think that's where, where I'm coming from in this evaluation of should you generalize or specialize? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's basically it, right? Like what is the value that you'll be bringing? Cause it's very easy to get caught up in tech in like when you're making that T denomination where you're now going too deep and some of that stuff is fun. I spent way too much time learning like the lower level stuff of C++. I spent a lot of time on Java. I spent a unhealthy amount of time optimizing databases uh, when I was first picking up Postgres, MySQL, Oracle kind of stuff. And I just wanted to see how they differently do it. What are the things? And I just spent way, way too much time. Uh, none of that time would have been, I guess some of that became useful once I was still using ORMs or when, when I was debugging or when I needed to find out. But on a general use case, no. And I've basically like forgotten most things at this point uh, because I haven't touched it in a while. And there's there's database analyzers and everything. Go listen to our database optimization episode. Uh, they, they do most of that work for you. Um, but learning, learning those things helped keep my interest alive at the time, which was the big payoff. So doing those things made me feel less of the imposter syndrome. And I was at the, the, whatever that graph is where you feel like, you know, everything when you're at the beginner stage. And uh -huh. then the more you learn, the more you're like, oh crap, I actually don't know anything. Right. The, um, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. The Dunning yeah. And then, so the DK effect, uh, I had, I had a really high confidence in the beginning when I did all those ge like generalization on a small area, but then I went really deep into it and I just thought I was a freaking genius. I was like, yeah, I know everything. Technology is nothing in front of me. I'm a full, full stack dev. And then someone asked me to like change a DOM element. And I was like, I don't know how any of this works. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just like backend JavaScript. And someone's like, you just write it in node. And I had no idea what a runtime environment is. I don't know. I just wrote code and it ran. Um, so then I started <laughs> learning on how things worked on a more generic scope. And I was like, oh, cool. I don't know anything. Uh, but at least going deep or trying to specialize at first, because right out of school, I was very like strongly objecting to choosing front end. I was just like, I will be really good at optimizing databases. I'll maybe write some back end, and I'll be okay with just not touching front end ever. And I was wrong. I had to touch all of that for many years after school. Uh, and I'm very glad I did, because then I would have been a DBA maybe uh, at some really shitty old place, just trying to maintain their databases and making sure things are up and constantly just running reboot commands on the database. Uh, yeah, so so happy I did make that switch. But uh, but yeah, there's there's 
really the need, right? There's the need and the depth for how much you want to specialize. Yeah. So I think part of it comes down to, do you have a broad enough skill set to do some level of just in time learning? So essentially if you've already covered the surface area of something and say you're setting up something for me, for example, I am familiar enough with Jenkins and circle CI and GitHub actions, uh, Spinnaker, these various pipelines that if something goes wrong, I can kind of just in time, figure out what I need to learn in that afternoon to sort out the issue. I don't know the answer. If someone asks me, Hey, this is the error I'm getting. Why am I getting it? I don't know it off the bat, but I have enough context having worked around these things for a while that if something comes up, I can probably at least narrow it down or at least find the logs, pump those into Google, see what it tells me and go from there. Uh, the difference I think would be even like well, actually if when we were using OpenShift and it was completely opaque and it was like, how do you use this? Well, it's never been explained and also no one's going to show you and the link to the docs isn't helpful because you have no access to see any of this. And it was like, okay, well, I have so little context for what's going on that if something goes wrong, I don't even have the tools to understand what I would look for in order to start the debug process. Uh, and so that would be an example of not having a broad enough skill set, which has since broadened it for me in those areas, uh, to be able to be effective. And so the, the balance there becomes if you don't know how to modify a DOM element or why you would want to modify a DOM element, it's going to be a bit confusing jumping into react and being like, well, what exactly is going on here? What is a render loop? Um, if you don't know what a component is, then the concept of uh, avoid of doing like a react hook is going to be very foreign because you have so many steps to go to figure out why you have an infinite render loop that crashes the browser when you open that view. So yeah, to just reiterate the point, I think it's hard at first to know a bunch of what you don't know, but at some point you hit the edges often enough. You're like, all right, I think I've covered this enough that if I needed to go deeper, I could. Uh, but also imposter syndrome helps a lot with that. Cause you just feel like, uh, everybody's going to ask you a question at some point, they, they're going to find out that you don't know anything and it just keeps you, <laughs> keeps you digging a little deeper than you need to. Yeah. And you know, the way you get over it, you're just like, are you even good enough to have imposter syndrome? And I ask yeah. myself that every morning <laughs> and then after I'm done crying, I go home and study. Uh, why are you waking up? Not home. <laughs> <laughs> question for another day uh <laughs> yes that's a, a great story for another time <laughs> um but yeah and, and that's where i want to like like the the point you touched there with the react hooks is uh I, when you do these generalizations when you're not specializing you start noticing patterns which is a huge part of software development all all of these coders all rational people Everybody just wants to find patterns and expected things in the world. Uh, and you learn those, you, you figure out, oh, this is how 
the render lifecycle works in this language. Oh, this is how it works slightly different. This one, these are the pros and cons. And that gives you like specialization enough that once you were doing the just in time work, you can figure out, okay, these are the slight distinctions and I can now specialize in this for this amount of time. Cause even if you like perfected react and then you took two years off, it probably changed enough that you wouldn't even be an expert at it anymore. Um, and, and yeah, and that's the big thing, right? Like the learning or getting into front end frameworks was a lot easier for me once I started looking at the concepts that are easier for me. So instead of going into it and trying to figure out, oh, how it links and what renders in what way, I looked up the terminologies, what a component is, what different things are. And then I looked up the React render lifecycle hooks. That made everything so crystal clear for me because then I had a sequence of steps following through. I could step through the code. I could figure out what's happening because that's how it worked in the database and the backend world for me. You would have a set of actions that are happening once you've entered the main of the function because JavaScript doesn't have main. You don't, you don't see that nonsense, especially when you're like building a framework. Your app entry point is whatever slash endpoint gets hit and it does a bunch of magic behind the scenes and you have HTML tree now. Have fun. Uh, whereas, you know, backend is a lot more cleaner on that note where it's just like, all right, this is the entry point. Everything will get hit based on what function you're calling now. There's no hidden processes. There's no nonsense. And then databases are even stricter where they're like, you write what you want from where you want any filters you need and we give it to you. Uh, mm. So coming from that background, I started looking for patterns on what I learned, how different languages may implement things. And that generic general knowledge helped me pretty much apply it to everything. When I was first learning Jenkins, I didn't know how CICD works. I don't know what webhooks are. Uh, they were just like magic. I was just like, I commit something. And then the next thing I know is it somehow makes it way to production and this weird old looking guy runs this job uh, and then things happen. So understanding then again, taking the lifecycle concept and applying it to, okay, so there's a HTTP call, understanding the HTTP protocol. I don't need to know everything about it. I just need to know the header, the destination, the whatever is going in the body. That's all I need. The get and post. Every other HTTP method can go eat crap until I can figure out this thing on a higher level and yeah and then that's how i like would slowly build up and then once i learned all of that and things were working then i can go and say oh by the way http as a protocol has six other ways of making requests let's design our api this way that would be cool to follow a specification uh but until then i didn't care i was just like you you hit this with postman and or browser and it gives you a bunch of data this is how this api works why are you asking me what patches i don't know uh <laughs> so just small things like that right you you specialize in your window uh given whatever your need is yeah and as you were saying about patterns obviously there are things like uh, close to modification open to extension where once you've seen that implementing enough times, you kind of just get what it feels like to write code that way. So whether it's front end, whether it's back end, whether you're talking about the architecture of a system, you start thinking like, all right, how do we write this in a way that, for example, 
we can extend this as needed with less likelihood of needing to go in there and actually meddle with it in the future. And so whether you're writing uh, higher order components that are going to perform a certain thing that you can then inherit a bunch of behavior from in more specific versions, or you're writing a class that you'll choose to inherit from or extend, um, instantiate in like a, a Python server or something, it's the same ideas, they're just in different domains. And so if you've played around in those different domains and you're getting used to the patterns, it does make it easier to move between them. Uh, I think, um, I'm forgetting his name now, Hickey, I don't remember his first name, the guy who, who designed Clojure. He, uh, I listened to a talk from him a long time ago and his point was basically, we have these agreements about how we should design our REST APIs where, or our public APIs where everything should be like RESTful and then we don't think about our services like this where you know, writing a function that behaves in a item potent way or like thinking about those standardized behaviors, those are just good ideas. Like they're, they're used by everyone in something like REST because they're good ideas. They're used by, you know, if you have an, a, a method in, or an operation, a command, a statement in SQL that is idempotent and it's documented as being idempotent, you know it is because it was chosen to be that way. And so if you're thinking of how do I write my own command to modify some data in my system that leverages, for example, an ORM, you might think, how do I write this in a way that it's eigenpotent, where I can run it over and over again, and it does the right thing. It doesn't create duplicate data. It just sets the state the way I want it. And these good ideas, you don't, once you've seen them enough all over the place, you don't need to keep rediscovering them. And other people have come before you and already come up with all these ideas. So uh, I think that's a hidden gem of being generalist is that those patterns are difficult to spot unless someone tells you in your one little tiny specific uh, specific domain, that's a pattern that we use everywhere. You'll just think of it as the way Angular does it or the way that Django does it. And you won't really know that that's actually just the way software is written. <laughs> and it, uh, it has a lot more applications than what you're used to. Yeah, yeah, that reminded me of the, my, my just favorite error pattern of all time that Golang has of mm. you can either have the yeah, value yeah. or the error. You can't have both. Yeah. And I'll just keep bubbling this up till someone handles this. Uh, and I loved it. I loved it so much. I use it pretty much everywhere. I can find a language that can return multiple values or a tuple. Uh, I wrote my Python code a lot after that in that manner did wonders that worked great. Uh, right now, I think I model some of my Ruby stuff uh, in a similar pattern as well. Uh, and then that, you know, just makes your null checks easier so you know where you need the right amount of information or what it will look like. And nothing blows up in a random place. It's either you get a nil back or you get your data back. And if it's nil, you're like, all right, something went wrong. What did go wrong? And then you check it and then you do your thing. Uh, but if I hadn't done that in Go or just thought of it as a Go thing, I wouldn't have tried to implement it in Python or other places. Um, and yeah, if I was, you know, or if I was just specializing in really hard in Go, then I'd just like, be like, oh, you Python plebs, you guys don't have this cool little feature. Uh, by the way, my compile time is much quicker and it runs really fast. Uh, 
you know, and then, then the, there's no sharing, then there's no learning, there's no love <laughs> between these worlds. Yeah, uh, likewise, if you're only ever maintaining or um, consuming APIs, like maybe you're a mobile dev or you're a front-end dev, and I'm just thinking mobile because there's more domain-specific knowledge there, it's less likely to, that you'll have to do both. But if you're a mobile dev who's never worked on an API, you might end up asking the teams maintaining an API to do things that just don't make sense for an API to do because you don't have the context for like, that's how it, not how APIs are maintained. Uh, we would, it, you know, it would result in breaking changes in the future or uh, it fits your use case, but nobody else's. So no, we can't have it do that. Uh, things like that have come up at any job I've worked at that has someone who hasn't maintained the APIs before asking for changes because it fits their particular use case in their UI a little bit better and they would like it to be that way. And it's like, well, if you just, if you have that experience, you just know why that doesn't make sense. And it's not a big deal uh, because it, the people who know will just say no and here's why, but the context is still nice to have. Yeah, or alternatively, you've seen enough really good APIs. So when you are working as a mobile dev in some new company and they give you this API with a crap, you know, they're like, oh, just make a get request to this with this like data in the URL encoded. And you're like, I've generally used a post request for this. And then they're like, what's a post request? Then you know it's a bad company and you should leave. Yeah. Uh, or, or if you're <laughs> posting to the URL and it's users slash profiles slash details slash, and there's no UIDs in there, there's no IDs, there's no nothing in the don't the URL doesn't make any sense. You're like, well, how am I just going to get like the users? And it's like, it's at users slash details. You'd be like, mm, this, is, <laughs> this seems like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if things just don't make sense, there, there are patterns people have come up with on how to design these things and just stick to them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the big, big, big benefits of doing the whole specializations because uh, or not doing the specializations because you notice the patterns. And then, you know, sooner or later when you are leading teams or you're more on the architecting sides, then you have the, all this experience when the team asks for your input or when you, you know, are mentoring some new shiny-eyed junior developer and they're asking on, hey, can I have my API have slash users slash profile and then have another one for... I don't know, slash users slash get profile or something. And you're like, no, 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 let me teach you about HTTP methods. And then you know, you blow their mind. Uh, these things, these things come in handy. So at what point should you stop being so generalized? Like how do you know if you're trying to be too much of a generalist, either you, or if, or if it's time to specialize, like one of the two, either you're going too broad or it is actually appropriate to specialize. I think it really becomes on wherever you are in your career on what you need. Uh, so I personally have noticed I work much better on a principle of mostly general until I need to execute something, then go head down into it, get the thing done, come back out, zoom out, look at the thing overall, look up other things people have done in different ways. Uh, most of that happens in the planning phase, but I always check before I do things. And then once I've done the thing, I go on the internet again to look for other solutions to see if anything has changed since my last deep dive because internet moves so fast. Um, 
or if there's like something new that was introduced or whatever but i personally find it's really like i'm sure a lot of it also has to do with the whatever job you're at right like you might be doing that and if if that's your interest level if you're if you just want to generalize constantly just know sooner or later you will probably uh, be outdated uh, most of the senior developers or planners or technical architects I've seen that are really successful is because they are generalists but they keep playing around with new technologies here and there they'll try to dive deep into it till they can figure out the value on what they will use it for and then they, they just back out they don't fully go in unless it really catches their interest and then I guess they sort of become a maintainer of that project if they really wanted. Um, I, I know someone, uh, I think some, something about there's like this tool outside that's used for like visualizing uh, Oracle information or something. And like I knew someone who like worked on that because I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Uh, but they were they were now a senior pe person and they, they, you know, they look over things most likely, but because they built that from ground up, now they have that knowledge. So they choose the other path of they were really deep into something and now they've tried to generalize. Uh, so whatever honestly floats your boat, but if you're unsure, always go the general route unless you're like, I know so little about everything that I do that I can't actually produce anything of value. That's yes, probably that, when you should stop. That was the critical piece I wanted to get to. Uh, yeah. I've said for years, people listing job postings for junior full stack software developers need to stop doing that. They're basically saying, oh, we need someone who's bad at everything. Because if you're a junior developer, you're, there's no way you have enough experience to be good at even your one half or one quarter of the stack. So like, if you're a junior and you are okay with working on UIs, get pretty good at React or a Vue, whatever, whatever framework the companies that you're interested in are using and be able to contribute. Uh, don't worry about being able to, after three days, update a button and then take three weeks to work on the next feature that is like updating an API. Just pick one of the two uh, if you're, or if you're working even further on the back end, uh, pick something, a part of the stack and get good enough that you can produce, like you were saying, produce something of value, because if you're useless everywhere, you're just as good as not being there. Uh, so, uh, don't go then that's, I think related to what, how I started the discussion with, uh, depending on how much experience you have, that's how it affects how, uh, broad your generalizations can be. So if you have no professional experience and you're getting into your first job, you probably can't try to be super generalist because you're not good at anything yet. So you have to get good at something and branch out from there. Yeah, I think that's a big, big distinction to make because people who are senior are will generally have team of people under them. So even if they're lacking at something, they know someone on their team that'll be good at it. And if they're actually a good leader, they'll listen to them and they'll, they can get like feedback solicited or they can ask someone who is specializing to do some research. But if it's a junior developer who don't have anybody else to help them and they're like, I know how to write select statements, consume uh, API and create something, um, you know, from a template, 
that's cool. Uh, but if you don't know really the principles on how it's any of it's working, uh, that's going to screw you over big time because there's too many tutorials now where you can just spin up a little app and you can test it with Postman or have a little hooked up already back in front end shared TypeScript background thing which just runs with a simple npm command and then someone says oh by the way it's throwing a course error because the whatever the back end is not running on the same local host through a proxy server and you're like a what what server what <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and yeah and i've seen too many like really good really good front end developers uh just like completely throwing up their hand and just being like I don't understand why I can't access this URL or get the data in the way I want. And then I have to like sit there and be like, it's because you're not accessing it the correct way, or this is very basic debugging task of just go into the browser or use Postman, or you have the code right there. It's in the stack trace why something is breaking. Uh, because they've never touched that backend. They're not specialized yeah. into it. They may have written some lines of code here and there for a for loop. Uh, on once some data was being fetched, but if they don't know, that's gonna be so such a useless skill, uh, where they can build maybe really good front ends and consume data from some URL. But that skill where you will know how to figure out where something went wrong is what will set you apart from whatever those peers of yours who might be really good at designing a beautiful component. Uh, but won't have any idea on how to fetch data in a good way. Yeah, and also I mentioned branching out. There's someone on my team right now who is go is the opposite direction. So they didn't start front end and then go back end. They started front end and also do a ton of UX and design work. And so they just do a ton of like CSS updates and build like component libraries and those sorts of things. So they're like, this is what the UX is going to be. They work with a team. They sort of come up with a design language and then save us devs that do implementation details and business logic a ton of time because it's just like, all right, I built this component library that does all of this standardized stylistic stuff. Anytime you need to use a dropdown now, use this because it's going to look right or use this for all our moguls because it looks the way we want. I've added this um, transition that we're going to use for all our animations now. It's like, all right, great. Uh, I would hate to do that. And uh, this person knows enough about writing front end only code, doesn't need to know how the APIs are going to work, that they can push up these component libraries and they just work out of the box so that those of us who don't want to know about how to implement the CSS and fight with all those rules and make sure they work cross browser and all that nonsense, we can worry about knowing enough to do the implementation of business logic on the front end, make the UIs the way they're supposed to, and then worry about the core's errors and making sure that we can actually get the stuff from the APIs that we're trying to fetch and make sure that we can access the S3 bucket where we think we're supposed to be able to access and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and in that case, even though they sort of are specializing, they have enough of the variety within that domain to push something useful uh, yes. so that makes them valuable. And I'm sure for, for companies of sizes where they have a lot of that value, they'll be useful. And then if they try to like go for a smaller 
mid-sized service-based company, they might not be appreciated as much because they're building a whole bunch of component libraries and they need to be full stack. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's also probably that. If you are really specialized into something, maybe also look for like industries where that's supported. If you're just really rigid about not wanting to do any more generalization, if you just really love something and you want to do that for a little while longer, um, see wherever the, it's valued. Uh, look for those places. Uh, there's, or, a sh there's a dev shop in town here that literally advertises everything they write using Elixir. And if you really just want to write Elixir code, that's apparently where you go. Yeah. Or if you just all, want all to have other, fun. All the so other you... companies afterwards that are going to say, how much Python experience do you have? You won't. But if you really want to specialize in Elixir, <laughs> you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of generalization is you will have a lot more opportunities to play around on a more pattern-based knowledge and you can dive deep. But if you're already diving really deep in one place, uh, your options are going to be limited, but I'm sure you'll find a place where you'll be appreciated. Uh, it might just be extremely competitive and make sure it's in an industry where they have money, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I would sure. like to bring up again and again, because you, because uh, yeah, the, the tech pay scale can extremely fall off a cliff uh, if you just don't have any of the crazy big marketable scale. Yeah. True that. True that. Do you have anything else? Uh, no. Uh, I, I, I'd like to just really emphasize on the root. Whenever you're, you're building some of those, like even, even if we take the example of the CSS person, uh, now they're learning on patterns on how libraries are designed, how they can push different libraries and release product cycles. Uh, which again will be a much useful skill if they transfer it to backends and everything. Uh, when you're designing a CI/CD pipeline or whatever, learning how the communication model works, learning how to build something for business use cases on promoting things to different stages, uh, red, red, blue, or whatever green, blue deployment, uh, which is just a classic Indiana Jones swap uh, that I've been using pretty much. It it just it gets used so many places. Feature flags are essentially that. Credentials rotations are essentially that. These principles are used everywhere. So whenever you're doing these things, always think of what am I really doing from a process perspective and business perspective? Because those skills will be so much more useful than, oh yeah, I switched over the DNS from one environment to another and deleted one environment. And that was kind of cool, I guess. But the <laughs> process you did behind it was so <laughs> awesome uh, that if you completely neglected that, it will it will screw you over. So always, I guess the whole classic cliche of ask the why, really dig down into it, do the introspection you need, uh, and just focus focus on the principles because that's what tech is all about. You you problem solve based on a pattern and principle, and then you apply it to as many places as you can. Yeah, boy. You yeah, you. Yeah. That's it for me. That's it from me, too. Whoa. Then I guess I will share what I did better uh, since What you've chat. been doing better on. Yeah. Well, first I got to go with what I did better. Okay. okay. So, him. as I mentioned, uh, my sister visited. Oh, sorry. 
I have. I was planning <laughs> on not mentioning it. Actually, uh, I didn't even include it in the cool, interesting, frustrating. I know. Section, I was very surprised. Even though, even though, it's <laughs> the the last event was really good. Uh, be so. I wanted to be a good host for my sister when she was mm. here, and I think I did a good job. I took some notes while I was visiting, like mental notes, while I was visiting Ontario because when I was hanging out at my brother's place, I thought this guy's a really good host. He's just like really on top of stuff. And I was like, all right, what's he doing? So I tried to like pay attention to what I was noticing about what he was doing that make him seem like a good host and just try to do similar sorts of things. So apparently she had a good time. Hopefully it was a enjoyable weekend for her. And it was, huh? Did she emote? Yeah. 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 Oh, then I'm sure it was ecstatic. My si- well, my si- you've met her. She has way more <laughs> I know. emotions. So so uh, long she wasn't crying, I'm sure she had a great time. I see. Yes, she's enthusiastic about most things. Uh, I did spend some time on the AWS developer course. I think I finished up the... It was uh, basically right after we recorded this. It was the next morning that I did some of that. Uh, so it would have been, I think, the finishing up the cloud formation and code deploy pipeline type uh, section, but I don't remember the details of which it was. I have been preparing to move. So I brought a bunch of stuff over to a friend's house, been donating things, started packing things up. So my place is kind of a mess. Uh, And I did go get a haircut and this one turned out really well. So I'm happy about that. Uh, One thing that I only kind of sort of did, so this one's in my did not do better section, but I only kind of sort of did this. So doesn't really count, but it kind of counts, was I'd brainstorm uh, ideas for doing novel things, like novel activities to do. Uh, And I sort of came up with some stuff, but it was all longer term stuff. It wasn't how can I keep the day to day or week to week interesting. It was more like, you know, over the next few years, how could I do things that are more interesting? And that's something I do all the time. So I, I don't really count that as an improvement. So I've got that on my list again for doing better. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Do better. This is just more like a to-do list this week, but it's uh, move into my new place without losing or breaking anything. That's a primary primary goal. And I have to call Shaw and cancel my internet because I still haven't done that. Uh, So I guess I'll have to figure out how to return my equipment and whatnot as well. But I've been putting that off because I don't think it'll be a fun time, but... I have to do it at some point. So that's why it's on my do better. And that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Simple week, but I am, you know, ending a job and relocating. Uh, so I've got some things going on. What about you? Um, less happening than that. I have a new roommate coming. So that's Whoa. pretty, pretty stoked. Crazy. Yeah. Gonna, gonna bake some lasagna with them and stuff. So that <laughs> should be, should be good. Uh, but yeah, on, on did better, uh, still, still going, going strong on the meditate, um, or actually have started going strong again, because last week I said, I've been falling off the wagon where, because I felt generally happy and a beat, I, I, I would just do my like breathing exercises instead of actually sitting there meditating, doing a body scan, all that. Uh, but then I'm like. Maybe I should stick with it while I still feel good because when I won't, it won't feel as unnatural uh, going back to it. Um, so I've been doing that uh, pretty regularly this week uh, for the last few days. So very happy about that. I added a little 
because there's no one else in my apartment, I am playing loud music in the morning when I wake up uh, just to like get me in a happier mindset when I uh, get up. I hate the concept of alarm clocks having your favorite music. Um, so I sleep without alarms. Uh, it's, it's a much nicer feeling. And generally, if it's any time between 5 and before 5.30 I wake up, I usually just like lie there in the bed or like try to sleep in to like get another 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, but for the past week or so, I've been just, I, I just wake up. I'm just like, all right, whatever. I That extra 10 minutes is not going to add anything and lying here is not helping me at all. Uh, and somehow I do feel more energetic and happier because my body was ready to actually wake up and my mind was ready. I was just fighting against it. Um, so yeah, been doing that. So feeling good about that, trying to like play some music, um, and like sticking to a more, trying to make my morning routine a little bit more peppier, uh, so that, um, I'm not like going to the gym sort of slightly tired and stuff, uh, which was easier when I would bike to the gym cause I would get a whole bunch of dopamine rush. But now it's cold and I don't want to bike at like five in the morning when it's rainy and stuff is falling in my face. So now I just take the bus, uh, which means if I don't do my morning routine, I'm just like tired and I like get off the bus and then I walk to the gym and like, all right, let's get this over with. Um, so, so pretty happy about that, that that's been going on. Um, been seeing friends regularly. I've, I've like dedicated Wednesday of each week uh, to go see the two of my friends uh, and uh, they've been on board so that's been good uh, so if one of them is busy we still have like made the pact that we'll just see the other person we just won't do like okay let's cancel the thing uh, so that's been working out pretty well um, yeah cleaned my entire apartment uh, which I talked about I think earlier uh, so that was really fun. And then doing better, I'm trying to slowly bring back reading again. Uh, I dropped off of it because I wasn't getting enough traction. And I think my mind was just running all over the place too much. But somehow meditation is calming it down again, which means my focus and concentration is increased. So I can actually sit through and read, uh, which I actually like the end goal of it. And I like when I do it regularly. I just... Not a huge fan of the process. If the information could just somehow enter my head without me having to like sit in a position and read, uh, that would be perfect. But sadly, yeah. yeah. See, I like to read with my eyes closed, so that's why I go with audiobooks. Because mm. reading is a pain because you have to actually pay attention to what you're looking at, and then it doesn't work so well. Whereas if I'm listening to something, I can't really think about anything else. I need to pay attention. Somehow I can't. So. Listening is like my least, somehow it's one of my best skills and my worst skills. So I, other senses have to be engaged. So if I'm looking at you, if I'm with someone in person, um, or if I'm video calling someone, I will listen perfectly with my full concentration. So long I'm on a phone call, an audiobook, I've lost it. I cannot focus. <laughs> I feel like I'm wasting my time because only one of my senses is engaged and I could be doing stuff with my hands. I could be like looking over something. I could be doing something. So mm -hmm. my brain just gets all distracted. So if it's just in my ears, um, somehow podcasts are still more listen easier, even if I'm doing cardio, because I think it's more of a conversation. 
uh, and then if I miss some elements here and there, it doesn't matter all that much. But yeah, I, I cannot focus uh, if it's just audio. I'd rather watch a video book if that's a thing, but I guess that's just reading. <laughs> that's just uh, a movie, yeah. Have you, <laughs> have you, are you still using a Kindle? Yeah, yeah. I, I do have a physical book that I'm like trying to read more a little bit now just to get in the habit so that because I do like the physical books more and then I'll go back to Kindle once the reading habit has been established. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I keep it on my desk. So I constantly look at it and be like, yeah, I should. Yeah, I should. Uh, <laughs> just as reminders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but nothing, nothing else. Yeah, just uh, going to go to Victoria this week and see all the people I love missing a door that I haven't seen in a while, get all the food I really like. And then, yeah. Hopefully, by the time I leave, population of Victoria has been reduced by one. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sounds like a threat, but it's not. It'll, it'll get added to Bernabe. Yes. That's it. Yeah, that's the show. Thanks for, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Go specialize on this episode oh. and this podcast. And, and then generalize it to all your friends. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Could not have said it better. Just gonna end it there then. Right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>